should be okay. Like, yeah, it'll be safe. If we could do my living room, it'll have its little baby microphone carriage. You're redoing your living room? No, we could do it in my living room. Oh, I was like, that was a random thing to bring up, but yeah. okay. <laughs> All right. No, we can record in my living room. Yes. On my couches. I know. We'll actually be able to talk to each other face to face. It'll be nice. Like normal people. Normal people. Hey, guys. Hi. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We're normal people. Mm, Is the takeaway. Uh, (laughs) Just let that sink in. um, And please also believe us about it, I guess. I don't know. It's the truth. Normality is subjective, right? Like, I guess. subjective. I mean, every, pretty much everything's subjective, yeah. Except There's, for like, some, like, certain truths. Everything I say, it's objectively correct. Um. Yep. Mm, well. That's it. You can't. Objectively, I heard you say that everything you say is objectively <laughs> correct, but your internal experience is too subjective. Sorry, bye. Get I don't out. have an internal experience. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's all okay. external. That's alarming. <laughs> you just go inside an Andrea. Shell. It's just like nothing. It's just this wasteland of a being. I'm a shell of a person. Well, there's something in there. There's basic uh, digestive processes and brain know. functions, probably. Maybe. You don't know. I don't know. Until I, <laughs> do you want me to do a little autopsy? Like, that? that's the only way I'm going to find that. No. So. Yep. Sounds- painful anyway also, <laughs> you're you're just assuming i'm gonna do it while you're awake like i'm just gonna like <laughs> randomly do it now and cut yes. your head open is that like, not what you meant well i was thinking i'd at least give you some morphine i'm a little nicer about this oh, okay <laughs> andrea's just like if i were to do an autopsy <laughs> on a living person i just go for it. <laughs> i'm not even gonna use a scalpel she says i'm just gonna grab a fucking steak knife and yeah <laughs> go on my way in yep it'll take a while but i like that <laughs> it's better when it's slow. It, it's, ugh, it's better when it's meaty. Um, <laughs> saw, saw, saw. Uh, so I chose the theme today. You did, but okay. first you have to tell them about what you're afraid of. Right. So Andrea's fear of the week, which I also don't know. I don't have know. two positions that I might have to choose from because I had an interview today and it was something I wasn't entirely sure I would like, but then it was like, you could work from home. And I was like, okay, I love that. Mm. And then the other one is a position that I actually wanted yeah. from the beginning. So I don't know. Well, I, I mean, could be offered neither, and that would also be a fear. When, so I have to choose between both or else not get anything. Okay, not getting anything makes sense to be the fear. Yeah. But getting one of those, at least there's like huge benefits to both. You can't really go wrong. I know, but if I'm offered both, I would take, yeah, I know which one I'd take. It just like be hard. Yeah. It'd be a bit of a choice, but at least like, yeah. Yeah. At least they're both good. Yeah. So but, that's it. That's not know. much of a fear, I know. No, that's not. That's more like a, I like had a vague better one. life choice. And then I forgot to write it. Well, I just was at the gym and I couldn't write it down. Yeah. And that's what happens to me every single time we record. I think yeah. of it when I'm at the gym when I can't write anything down. I know. And then by the time I get here, I've forgotten it. Well, you could write it down. You could just like bring a notebook I'm to the gym. I'm going to have to. Just do that. <laughs> People think you're, like, really high-powered and important if they see you, yeah. like, scribbling like, a notebook while you're also, like, power walking. I'm an executive. Walking. <laughs> I'm an executive. I have to work while I exercise. No, an important job, Andrea, is what I said. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to executives out there, but you're useless. Go away. That's true. That's, uh... I said no offense first, so you can't be offended You by can't it. be offended. Yep. We instructed you not to be. <laughs> That's how that works. The figures and data show that you'll make more money if you don't take offense. (laughs) 
They're that's like, your oh, job. right. They're like, okay. oh, okay. Well, <laughs> the human cost is worth it. You'll make more money for doing more nothing. That's accurate for yeah. VPs and executives and CEOs. All of I them. I hate it. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. That's my fear. I don't know. The dredges of capitalism and bad workplace hierarchies. Bam. Done. See, <laughs> I nailed it. I'm yeah, able to spin yeah, off Yeah, but I always have time. to come up with it first and then you get to spin That's true. off of me. That's true. I do like spinning <laughs> off. It is my thing where I spin off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, don't like, <laughs> I don't like any like phrase that ends in the word off. I know, because it sounds wrong. It sounds bad, spinning off. Yeah, yeah, we all know why. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a second fear. I wish I could remember my original fear. Oh, well. Sorry, guys. Fear, not remembering. Yes. I mean, that's, that's a my, vague enough to that encompass. That is my them. original, original fear, is not remembering my original fear. In all fairness, if you take not remembering as its vaguest possible application, then, like, that actually could encompass some truly terrifying things. Yes. Alzheimer's is in there. That's pretty yeah. bad. Alzheimer's I would be afraid. Alzheimer's is bad, yeah. I would not like that to uh, happen. No. My memory is faulty, and I don't know what's happening. I think, uh, honestly, because mine's the same, it's like having too much to do at once and making a mental checklist. So you're like, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you're going through it and you're like, what was I doing? And you lose track of like the important thing that you had to do. And you lose stuff off of your checklist. Yeah, you do. Because it's not written down. Write everything down. I mean, I write down checklists every fucking week, right? Mm-hmm. But I have to write down so much on them and I'll just keep adding and adding to it until I'm like, okay, this is an insurmountable checklist is what this is. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. I can't uh, – I write checklists too, kind of. Mm-hmm. But if I'm at the gym and I think of something like – or in the middle of an assessment or something, just like somewhere where I don't – In the don't, shower. Like. In the shower where I can't – like don't have access to a pen and paper so I can yep. quickly write it down. I will just forget. Yeah. Well – Well, me too. I don't know. I think, okay, so I've noticed the same thing about a lot of people who are really busy doing multiple things all the time. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, no, a lot of people I've worked for and stuff, uh, they're the same way. Like, they'll lose track of the the random little things that are still important but are smaller because they're just doing so many little things and so many big things all the time. Yeah. That they're just like, it's just just over their head. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like crazy busy with uh, my master's and then work. And work is just on its own. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, because there's an individual checklist you can write just for work itself. Yeah. But then you've got your life checklist and then you've got your morning checklist, your evening checklist, your mental checklist for every other peripheral thing in your life, your family checklist, (laughs) you're spending time with people and answering. Too many checklists. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem with me is I will make a checklist for all those things. I'm just like, well, fuck. Just kidding. That's a lot of lists. Like 500 items on there. And I'm just like, (laughs) okay, I guess I'm not. I spent. Oh, and writing the checklist becomes an item on the checklist is an issue. <laughs> I'm not even write tomorrow's checklist. Yeah, that yeah. has been a thing I've done. Anyway, I'm I'm learning organization better slowly. I thought you had a therapist that made lists for you. She is definitely helping me. No, she didn't make them for me, but she told me how not to make them because I told her how I made them. Oh. And she was like, Yeah, don't, don't put do 500 that. 500 items on there. Yeah, and I was like, I know. But the problem is that I have 500 things to do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so she she helped me divide it, is yeah. basically. Yeah. It's so. 
it's best to divide it into short lists and then it's easier to conquer. Well, she had this really cool tip and I'm just going to talk about this quickly because this might be a cool thing for people at home. You make a little quadrant thingy, which Andrea can see me illustrating with my finger. It's like a little grid with it four squares. Like a cross. Yeah, in the air. It does. And um, <laughs> in one quadrant are things that are important and urgent. In the other one are things that are not important but urgent. The other one are things that are um, not urgent, neither. But yes. Yeah. And then like the other one is like, and she said, these are the things we do when we're procrastinating, neither urgent nor important. So when yeah. when you think like you really got to pace this room or you really <laughs> got to watch that new youtube video that came out yeah. like because you're avoiding your schoolwork you that's really that's where that goes that. yeah and yeah and you kind of just cross off that one yeah okay yeah. Yeah. You can do that. Yep. Do it. All right. Do it. All right, everybody. Let's start list making. This is our new podcast. It's called <laughs> How to Organize. Lists. That's really good. Um, there's no other podcast with that name. Two so, scary lists. Trademark. Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> Two frightened list makers. <laughs> Two I like alarmed mine. Just busy people. Lists. Just lists. Just yeah. Lists. I mean, there probably Who isn't a podcast. I want to listen to that. They're just like, holy shit. It. That well, sounds you know. interesting. Oh, well, now that you've said who wouldn't want to listen to that, you know, the first part of listen has list in it. Exactly. Whoa. Boom. It was meant to be a podcast. Okay, <laughs> this is some galaxy brain shit, and I don't expect you at home to keep up. Um, but there you go. So you learned something today, and now you're going to learn about something completely different and horrible. Yeah, because we just remember this isn't our list podcast. It's our <laughs> Scary podcast. I'm never making a list podcast. That would be another thing I'd have to put on my list. That's true. <laughs> Make list podcast. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, don't do it. <laughs> okay, so I chose the theme this time. Yeah. So I get to go first. What and was the theme? The theme is creepy disappearances. Yeah. Yeah. We've done um, it before, but this we was have, kind of more. But I wanted to do it again because there are so many and they're all interesting. Yeah. We want to do family disappearances, but we need to do a deep dive on some of those because most of them are. Yeah, a lot most of them the are like. Ones are there's intense. like a lot of evidence and you have to go through it and then there are a lot of theories. Oh, I yeah. I just wanted to do like. Um, those like need their own episode. They need their own episode. So this one is the Sarah Joe disappearance. Excellent. Tell me about this because I have not heard of it. I hadn't either. So February 1979 is where we are in Maui, Um, where I went. In 1979. (laughs) In 1979. When she was only 25. When I was only 38. (laughs) When she was only 92. Yeah. (laughs) A young, hot 92. So February 1979 in Maui. Yeah. So Peter Hanschett, Benjamin Kalama... Ralph Malayakini, Scott Moorman, and Patrick Wozner set sail for a fishing trip on a 17-foot Boston whaler called the Sarah Joe. Oh. Yeah, so it's not... Oh, I thought Sarah Joe was going to be a person. You threw nope. me for a loop. I know. That was some loop throwing you. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. I wanted to add a twist. That was That's a, it. an immediate twist. Immediate at the very beginning. I was not predicting a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just get a surprise boat in your story you and do, that's what and happens. That's, it's the best day of your life. The day was good at the beginning, oh. but then a storm began. And apparently, so I read a quote that they were like, yeah, it, it was a perfect day. The, the ocean looked like a lake. Like it was so still. Yeah. So you'd think it would have been fine. It's a calm before the storm. Fuck. <laughs> that is where that quote comes from. <laughs> 
Uh, Peter's father, John Hanchett, became worried after a while, and he went to look for them, and he was later joined by marine biologist John Naughton and Captain Jim Cushman of the Coast Guard uh, by the third day of searching. Okay, so they, were they went on a calm missing. day, and yeah. the storms happened, and then they just didn't come back for three days, and people were like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, because they were like, yeah, they left. And then there was a storm, and yeah. then they never came back. So they're like, no, they're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. I'm just like trying to get the timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know because I like it didn't like anything I read wasn't like oh they didn't come back and then like and it was two days like I don't know but yeah. um, by the time it was the third day that uh, he had been searching these two people joined him okay. but they never found the boat or the people. Oh, I mean they did, but not then. So oh. ten years later in 1988. Ah. John Naughton was on a wildlife expedition to a deserted atoll named Tayonga. Right. Which is part of the Marshall Islands, and he found a boat that was registered in Hawaii. Huh. And he thought, hey, what are the chances? So he's the marine biologist who worked with uh, one of the guy's fathers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he had joined on the search, and then 10 days later... 10 days. 10, ten years, years. 10 days later in 1988. 10 whole days. It was so long. Like. <laughs> the 70s and 80s were actually like measured in weeks. They were the same. <laughs> um, yeah, they were measured in weeks. Yeah, not years. It's, <laughs> don't worry about it. And then they changed calendars. Is there like, we are going to be in the so year 500,000. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really complicated to write on charts. <laughs> We're going to have to reprogram the computers and everything. We're not doing this. Yeah, no, we got to make it longer. So a few feet away from the boat was a shallow grave with a human jawbone in a pile of rocks. What? The Coast Guard figured out that the boat was the Sarah Joe, and dental records matched Scott Mormons yeah. from the jawbone. Oh, no. Poor Scott. Yeah. Um, Shit. And poor all the other four, probably. Yeah. I mean, if that's where Scott is, the rest of them aren't. In a good way, probably. Yeah. Um, strangely, a government survey between 1979 and 1988 would have found this. So it kind of seems like it washed up recently. Yeah, I was going to When say. it was 1988, like recently before being found. Yeah, I was going to say if it had been there back in 1970, like someone would have noticed this jawbone before 10 years had passed. So it must have been recent. Yeah, because they do government surveys and stuff, right? So yeah. like they would see a boat. Like they definitely would have noticed this. Yeah. Uh, with the body was buried a blank pad of notepaper, which was interleaved with aluminum foil. What? Which is apparently a Chinese and Taiwanese burial ritual for fortune and money in the next life. Huh. But the grave was marked with a cross made out of driftwood, which is not from Chinese or Taiwanese culture. Yeah. So that's strange. Were any of the people on the boat of like a faith from China or Taiwan and or Christian? No, they didn't mention anything. I think they were like, I'll yeah. just whatever. You probably wouldn't have done the aluminum foil. Like I could see like any person who, even who isn't Christian making a cross, but like the aluminum foil the thing aluminum, is very specific. Yeah, exactly. Like the cross might've just been like a grave marker thing. Yeah, that's true. Because I'm sure they didn't have much choice of stuff to use. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's weird that nobody even reported it too. So yeah. Um, private investigators Steve Goodnow and Ralph's twin brother Robert traveled to the traveled to the atoll to search for themselves. Mm-hmm. And Goodall Goodnow said um, maybe Chinese fishers found the body, but they couldn't tell anyone because they were fishing illegally. Oh. So that would make some sense, right? That like, would. Yeah. And then they bury him. Like because with care because with care because he's a person, yeah. <laughs> but they can't say anything, right? Um, some think Mormon was actually alive when the boat 
reach the atoll. But others think that he tied himself to the boat to weather the storm, like, so that he wouldn't just wash away. Which his friends might have. Yeah. And then he died before it reached land. Oh. Probably drowned. Yikes. In Hana, there are stories about what happened between Hana Bay and the Marshall Islands that day. And it includes psychics telling family members which uh, which of the guys fell overboard first. What? Oh, uh, no. Yeah. That sounds like throwing a dart at a dartboard. I know. Like, I, I, I do believe in, like, some psychic stuff, but I just feel like that's not, I don't know. I know. And honestly, it's not important. No. If you're looking for someone or, you, like, if someone's missing in your life, you don't need to know what order they died in. <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather Sometimes know Sometimes you just happened. want where their body is, um, or if they're alive, would be great. Yeah. Uh, the Coast Guard returned the Sarah Joe to the Malayakinis. Mm-hmm. Or Malayakinis, yes. And it sits in their driveway, which is, and it's a reminder of his brother. So that's um, Ralph Malayakini, which was one of the guys that disappeared. Yeah. Robert is his twin. Yeah. Else. So that makes sense. And there are some questions about why Scott Mormon's jawbone was on top of the grave, like in the rocks, and mm. then the other bones were actually buried. And the burial was fairly fresh. What? But that could be that could mean anything. It could be like his body washed up with the boat and then someone buried him recently, like found his bones and were like, Oh, let's bury this guy and like the yeah. Chinese fisher thing. Yeah, which would make sense if someone was doing some illegal fishing and they're mm. like they found the body. Yeah. It's just weird though because I read mm. another thing that said the bones weren't bleached. What? Yeah. So Which seems like like he wouldn't have been in the water for all that long then yeah. like well, what yeah. hadn't died. Like he wouldn't have been laying there for very long before he was buried. He would have had to be buried somewhat soonish, right? Yeah. Sooner than 10 years. Yeah, no. After 10 years, the bones would have been bleached if that was when people found them. Or yeah. at least there would have been signs uh, that they'd been there. So hmm. someone found his like not fresh completely decomposed body and buried them. I guess like maybe they were fresher bones. So maybe it was like five years in. I don't know. Maybe they got caught on something like and he had survived for a while, but then eventually died and washed up like more quickly. Like, I don't know. It's just hard to say. Yeah, it's weird. They were yeah. Bleached. But maybe they were at sea the whole time. And yeah. he was just sort of underwater. That's true too, right? Like it's that's Yeah. The idea of, like, illegal fishermen is, like, it's a theory, right? And it does make sense. It's just kind of, like, I guess we'll never know for sure. And, like, what the fuck happened to the other guys? Like, are their bones yeah. just still in the, the sea? They've got like, to be, yeah, basically buried at sea. Yikes. And someone did say, like, there's a narrow channel um, to get to this atoll. Yeah. So did the boat just, like, get lucky and go through that channel by itself? <laughs> right? How'd the boat get back? Yeah, like how did it like travel through this little tiny channel to get to the the atoll? Oh, it's just so weird. I don't know. That's why I wanted to do it. I was like looking through and I'm, this one actually gave me goosebumps. So then I was like. Yeah, because it's like. It's the goosebump one that I'm doing. Maybe maybe he, um, surviving bone jaw, uh, maybe he was alive and he managed to get the boat through the channel, but then he drowned. But then, like, then government he, uh, surveys would have. And then the boat eventually went out. Like, oh. like he might have been the maybe last he was survivor alive. while the storm was still happening, got through the channel and then. Died, then yeah, got swept but then up. government surveys would have found him, hmm. unless the boat just like weirdly circled the atoll forever. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, kept moving so that the government couldn't find it, which is the <laughs> which story is what of a boats lot of people. Do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, governments—they all—they're all being chased by the IRS. <laughs> all these boats are like, I just wanted to start a new life. 
<laughs> but I know if I go to that coast, it's just going to be a lot of paperwork is the thing. Yeah, like it's just too much. Oh, I have to explain the dead body on my – like I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> well, that's another thing too. I'm just kind of like, yeah, geez. Uh, hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a mystery. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird one. That's an interesting case. I have Thank one you. that's mysterious in some circumstances and in others we know exactly what – happened but mostly we don't okay that sounds not confusing you're welcome (laughs) um that's just just ride this with me all right just take this ride with me take my hands all right whole new world okay (laughs) yeah ride this carpet this is a huge bummer of a story so yeah jokes is what we're doing yeah i mean that's the only way to get through it all right so (laughs) this is the mysterious case of Dorothy Jane Scott. <gasps> <That's>, <laughs> what? What? I'm just making it dramatic. It gets dramatic on its own. Oh, okay. So, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm I, okay. So, brief summary uh, Dorothy Jane Scott disappeared on May 28, 1980, in Anaheim, California. She had driven two co workers to the hospital after one had been bitten by a spider. While they were waiting for the prescription to be filled, Dorothy went to get her car to bring it around to meet them. Her car approached them, but then it sped away past them, and neither co-worker could see who was driving as the glare of the headlights had obscured, like, the inside of the vehicle, right? Oh my god, one of the podcasts I listened to just did this one. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, i But it's okay. It's not your fault you don't listen to them, so... <laughs> no, I don't. I, I just, I'll like, fight them. What? a spider bite. That sounds familiar. The lots of people get bitten by spiders. <laughs> so, the coworkers uh, reported her missing a couple of hours later after not hearing from her. And uh, during the months before her disappearance, Dorothy had been receiving anonymous phone calls from a man who had been stalking her. He had threatened to get her alone and quote cut her up into bits so no one will ever find her. Charming. In June 1980, a man called the Orange County Register, which was a local newspaper that had published a story on the disappearance, and claimed he had killed Dorothy. Uh, From 1980 to 1984, Dorothy's mother, Vera, also received phone calls from a man who claimed that he had Dorothy captive or had killed her. He seemed to waffle on that. It's important. Yeah. I I would like to know. I mean, I would like to know if he's, like, going back and forth on it. That's not a good sign. No. Is she alive or not alive is what I want to know. know. I'm guessing he just had this weird sadistic thing going on. Yeah, and he wasn't the actual abductor. He might have been, actually. The phone calls could not be traced. Okay. But the guy seemed confused about a lot of things, as you'll see. So here's some background on Dorothy Jane Scott. Dorothy was a single mother living in Stanton, California, with her aunt and four-year-old son. She was a secretary for two jointly owned Anaheim, California stores, one that sold like, so, uh, you know, like psychedelic items, like things like love beads and lava lamps and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the other store was a head shop. So she had a little like thing going on there, I guess. Cool. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a fun job. I don't know. Might it's as good. well. Yeah, why not? I don't know. Secretary, though, for them. So I don't know. Co-workers and friends said she preferred staying at home, was a devout Christian, and did not drink or do drugs, so working at that head shop must have been a little weird for her. But her parents, uh, her parents who lived in Anaheim, babysat their grandson while Dorothy worked, and Dorothy's father, Jacob, said his daughter may have dated on occasion, but had no steady boyfriend that the family knew of at the time, so. Okay. Yeah, so, it 
there were no signs pointing to a boyfriend who did this. Yeah. The phone calls. Eek. Yep. So months before she was abducted, Dorothy had been receiving eerie, anonymous phone calls at work from an unidentified man. And the caller told Dorothy of his love and devotion for her, but would alternate these passionate statements with calls where he threatened to kill her. That's normal stalker stuff. It is. And it's also (laughs) not a good way to woo someone. No, it's not courting. Uh, no. Don't be anonymous. That's what you think courting is. It's not that. Yeah, don't be anonymous. Leave out the death threats. Yeah, anonymous courting is weird, and it's really just stalking. It is 100% just stalking. I, <laughs> I, like, can we get coffee first? Like, I don't know, man. But yeah, the man also said, he, he basically said he had been stalking her and provided accurate details of her day-to-day life to prove it. Dorothy's mother stated, quote, One day he called and said to go outside because he had something for her. She went out, and there was a single dead red rose on the windshield of her car. Ew. Yikes. That's also not courting. A dead red rose. Yeah. Live roses only. <laughs> Preferably not, like, delivered through anonymous creepy yeah, phone calls to your mom. not anonymous dead roses. Uh, yeah. Not anonymous live roses. <laughs> no anonymous courting. So, Dorothy's mother also stated that there was one call in particular which had especially horrified her daughter, and this was the one where, during this call, the man reportedly told Dorothy that he would get her alone and, quote, cut her up into bits so no one will ever find her. And yeah. that would disturb me, too. That yeah. would be the one that would creep me out a lot. But that is not a good one. All of these would make me nervous. I don't like any of them. Yeah, I'm rating all of them a 0 out of 10. Because of the calls, Dorothy considered buying a handgun, which makes sense to me. And about a week before her disappearance, she even began taking karate lessons. Oh, so she was gonna, she was trying to not die. She was scared. Yeah. Yeah. So, the disappearance. At 9pm on May 28th, 1980, Dorothy was at an employee meeting at work. She noticed that her co-worker, Conrad Bostrin, did not look well and had a red mark on his arm. So, she and another co-worker, Pam Head, left the employee meeting to take Bostrin to the emergency room at UC Irvine Medical Center. Dorothy then changed her black scarf to a red one, and stopped by her parents' house on the way to the hospital to check on her son. The doctors discovered that Bostrin had suffered a black widow spider bite. So that's the specific spider. (laughs) And they treated him, and uh, during this time, Pam Head said that she and Dorothy remained in the ER waiting room. So according to Pam, Dorothy did not leave her side at any point during this period of time. Okay. Eventually, Conrad Bostrin was discharged from the hospital at around 11pm and given a prescription, and Dorothy offered to bring her car to the exit to meet them, as she didn't want Conrad to walk too far in his condition. Reasonable. Especially since he, like, obviously enough still wasn't feeling too good. Pam stated that Dorothy used the restroom briefly before heading out to the parking lot. Pam and Conrad filled the prescription and waited at the exit for Dorothy, and when they didn't see her after a few minutes, they went out to the ER's parking lot to check for her. Suddenly, they saw Dorothy's car speeding towards them, and its headlights blinded them to the extent that they couldn't see who was behind the wheel. They waved their arms to try to get her attention, but the car sped past them and took a sharp right turn out of the parking lot. So initially, both of them thought Dorothy had probably had some sort of emergency come up with her son, right? Mm -hmm. There's no other reason why she'd get into her car and drive past them like that. Yeah. But as a few hours passed with absolutely no word from Dorothy, Pam and Conrad reported her missing. 
at about 4.30 a.m. on May 29th, Dorothy's car, which was like a white 1973 Toyota station wagon, was found on fire in an alley about 10 miles from the hospital. Hmm. Neither she nor her apparent kidnapper were anywhere nearby, so they weren't in the car. That's not good. (laughs) That is not good. So, the taunts. The taunting. About a week after her disappearance, Dorothy's parents received a phone call from an unidentified man who said, quote, I've got her, and hung up. According to the parents, this same man called, quote, from the parents, almost every Wednesday afternoon, and said either that he had Dorothy or had killed her. So, Mm. same guy. Yeah. The calls were usually brief and typically occurred when Vera, Dorothy's mother, was completely alone at home. So he was probably watching. Yeah. Gross. But in April 1984, the man called during the evening while Jacob Scott, Dorothy's father, was home. And he answered the phone this time, and then the calls stopped. Okay, so... So the guy didn't like that. Okay. He didn't like that Do you go through theories on this? Not exactly. Uh, no. Okay, because they were like... There are a bunch of theories, though. Yeah, okay. I'll wait till you finish, and I'll tell you what, like, the theory was that I heard on the podcast I was listening to. Sure, and we'll we'll credit them for that. Um, so... (laughs) I don't know which one it was. I'll credit to an unidentified podcast. An unidentified podcast. Unidentified. I don't think it was their theory. Actually, it was um, it was police theory at the time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different theories on it. So a gruesome discovery on August sixth, nineteen eighty four, a construction worker found both dog and human bones side by side, about thirty uh thirty feet from Santa Anya. Santa Anya. Santa Ana Canyon Road. Perfect. That's kind of a tongue twister, and I don't know why. (laughs) But the bones uh, were partly charred, and authorities believed they had been there for, like, approximately two years as a bushfire had, quote, swept across the site in 1982, right? So I'm not sure if the bushfire charred them or if the killer did. Yeah. Also, a turquoise ring and a watch were found. Dorothy's mother said the watch had stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29th, about an hour after Pam Head and Conrad Bostrin had last seen Dorothy's vehicle. That's why I don't understand. Like, how do they know it stopped on May 29th? Like, one of those watches that has the day date, too? Yeah, I don't know, right? Because this was in the 80s. Did they have those? I don't know. I have no idea. But... Apparently. Yeah, like, when they said on the other podcast that... Yeah. Maybe there's like a watchsmith. A watch. He was like, I. I'll give I you guess. a special one that gives you dates. Or no, like he just like opened the watch, was like, yep, this stopped on May 29th. All right. <laughs> I know right. it anywhere. Like, I don't, I have no <laughs> idea, honestly. But this was the mother saying that. So it makes, it would make sense though, yeah. right? So on August 14th, the bones were identified as Dorothy's by her dental records. Despite this, an autopsy could not determine the cause of her death. A memorial service for Dorothy Jane Scott was held on August 22nd. That would be so sad to find out. I don't know. Every time I heard reports about, like, bones on the news, like, if I'd miss, been missing a family member, I'd be like, shit, what if, like, is yeah. this the day? Oh, yeah, that would make me nervous. Yeah. Um, it's also weird that, like, every time someone's abducted the watch, their watch stops. Like, wait, right? Like, what like, is do happening? the killers murder their watches? Yeah, like, like what do are they, they bash? Doing? They're just like, on top of killing you, I also don't want you to be able to tell time. Like, yeah, I'm not sure why they'd stop the watch, too, and like why they'd have buried the watch in the ring near her or left it. Like, it's just, it's a weird thing, right? Yeah. I um, don't know. So, the mystery. Okay. 
After Dorothy's bones were found in August 1984, the family started receiving calls again. Police installed a voice recorder at the Scott residence, but they weren't able to trace the calls because the man never stayed on the line long enough, so he knew enough to not do that. Um, so a possible motivation in Scott's murder surfaced on June 12, 1980, an unidentified man called the front desk at the Orange County Register, and this is a paper that had run a story that day about the case. Yeah. And a managing editor told police the man said, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. The editor also said that the caller knew Conrad Bostrin had suffered from a spider bite that night, like of May, 29, uh, May 28th. Yeah. And he also knew that Dorothy had been wearing a red scarf and that she had changed her black scarf to a red one after the employee meeting. Which is weird. Creepy. Why'd she so was he Why'd watching she the whole that? time? Um, well, I think she had to stop by um, and check on her son briefly on the way. And while she's there, I guess she just changed her scarf. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe she knew she, someone was following her and she was hoping that this would actually, like, confuse them. Yeah. It depends maybe, on what yeah. the scarf looked like. Yeah. So neither of these details had been published in the June 12th article. So it's weird that this unidentified guy would know. Yeah. The caller also claimed Dorothy had phoned him from the hospital that night. However, Pam Head disputed that claim, saying she had been with Dorothy the entire time and Dorothy hadn't made a single phone call. Yeah. So while investigators believe the anonymous caller was responsible for Dorothy's death, to this day, no one knows precisely what happened to her. Okay, so now I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, I have some theories too, but yes. Okay. So on this other podcast, they mentioned that like the head shop was actually owned by her father and she worked there. Yeah. And so the theory was that since like the, the caller would hang up if her father answered the phone, mm. that it was someone that worked there. Someone that worked there like was a frequent customer maybe. Yeah. Like so someone then related to he it. would recognize the voice. Yeah. But then you would think Dorothy would recognize the voice too, but who knows, right? Like she said uh, in one of the articles I was reading, she did mention that she recognized the guy's voice. Oh yeah, they but said wasn't that on the quite sure. Too. Yeah, it was like vaguely familiar, but she couldn't. She couldn't place remember it. who it was. Yeah, so maybe a regular. Yeah, so yeah. it could have been a regular. Yeah, yeah, because if it was a like a coworker who she saw every day, she'd probably know yeah. which guy it was. Yeah. if she's hearing it. So at, like right a regular after. customer would make more sense. Yeah, maybe. What was your theory? So this is more to do with like how she died. I think because like. She was found uh, years after, mm -hmm. um, and that was, like, when she was buried and such, and the bones were charred and such. It's just, like, it seems like there's a bit of a gap in time there, so I'm wondering if the guy kidnapped her and actually held on to her for a period of time, and that, like, I'm wondering, like, did he buy her a dog? Maybe. Like, was he trying to keep her? There were theories, too, yeah, like, maybe try bought her a dog and, like... There were theories, though, too, that, like, um, the dog was buried, like, over her. Like, she was buried deeper and the dog was buried closer to the top to, like, uh, throw off. To her bones. Yeah, to throw off, um, you know, those dogs that sniff out bodies. Yeah, and that yeah. would make sense, too. Yeah. But, but I who do knows? Wonder, like, because like, this killer he had a thing isn't for necessarily her. that smart, so. No, exactly. I can't tell how, like. So he just killed her and then when he killed her, he decided he should kill her dog, too, and well, bury she, them she together. Didn't have a, a dog with her when he kidnapped her Did yeah she, i don't think no no like no. it would just be like if he kept her and bought her a dog yeah that's why i was and thinking, then like wanted her to die with her yeah like dog and, thick, he didn't want to take care of the dog after she was gone so or something something like that or yeah it's hard to say um if it'd be symbolic or not with stalkers right it's like 
Yeah, they've got a different like set of logic going on, and it's hard to say. Yeah. Like, but I'm there's since there's a little bit of a gap in time for like finding her and the bushfires and her being kidnapped. It's like, did he try to keep her or did he kill her right away? Is the thing I'm I'm That's, just wondering. And what's how weird. did she die? Right? And why is the watch stopped? Yeah, watches don't just did he go like, into the stop watch? the moment you die. They aren't powered by you. <laughs> I know. I don't know why weird. the watch like why that's always a clue. They're like it stopped at this time. That must have been when they were killed. Like yeah, that's not an only indication. if the person bashed the watch at the same time as they bashed the person over the head. Like or they got it wet or something. Yeah, like, yeah, if or you like push drowned into you. A lake or something. Yeah, yeah, like that would make sense. But like yeah, no, I'm not sure why that would be a clue. I think for a lot of people, that's symbolic too, right? Like, for more spiritual people. And she was a devout Christian, so presumably her parents are of faith as well. And they could have thought of that as, like, Maybe more of a symbolic thing. Maybe he stopped thing. it. He was like, this is the day I finally was united with my love. And Well, that's the thing. That's why I was wondering, like, did he take a tiny screwdriver after doing this mm-hmm. and go into that watch? And just take out the battery right then to, like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's weird. It's really weird. But in any case, I'm hoping he did not chop her. Into uh, little bits. Yeah. It doesn't sound promising. But I just, I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah. So that's. That's cheerful. That's a, <laughs> we like to end on a positive note, as you all know. Um, mm-hmm. Go to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Too Scared Siblings. Yeah, please do. And <laughs> if you have any personal stalking stories, um. Not if you are the stalker, but uh, if you've been stalked, uh, go to the police. Don't don't email them to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, no, you should you should email us your other weird. Email stuff. us first. Yeah. And then we'll chat with you for like a couple months back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're still not dead, then you should call the cops for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like invest in pepper spray now. Like when I walk home, I keep my like keys between my knuckles. Like I, I do that. Yeah. And it has dissuaded some people from picking on me. That's good. I'm just too dainty for this world is the thing. <laughs> I'm just too cute and I don't want them to be swayed toward me by my cuteness. So Of course. Yeah. Um, so we're sending merch out soon. Yeah. You get little tote bags. I haven't got the merch yet because I need like a final count of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving to the end of January. So if you want merch, join our Patreon. Yeah. You can be a $1, $5 tier. You get yeah, bonus episodes at your $5. You get special shout outs if you're both uh, either. Yeah. No. You get a lot. Go to patreon.com slash two scared siblings. Yes. Yeah. And our Twitter, uh, you should follow us there. Actually, our Patreon link is right at the top of our Twitter account. So that'd be an easy way to get to it. It's at two scared sibs. And I am at Andrea Noel 3. And I'm at Toy Carousels. And, and our email is two scared siblings at gmail.com. So send where you want us to send the merch. Yes. And weird stories. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, to do with our theme. I just want to hear more things from yes. people. Like, Me too. I want I more like, stories. Yeah. Like, we take listener emails, hey? Yeah. <laughs> like, even things that you, like, wrote, whatever horror theme thing. Yeah. yeah. Display all your cool stuff. Please. Thank you. And now, to show our gratitude for what you're definitely going to send us via Gmail, thank you, is a kiss. <laughs> Sleep well. <laughs>